should pale death with treble dread make the ocean caves our bed. God, who hears the surges roll, deign to save our suppliant soul. For listeners know in times of woe, hark when starting new terror, Podnito. <laughs> Listen to them, children of the night. What music they make. Oh my. Oh my. Here we are. Another episode. Fans release films, guys. Hmm? Are you guys aware of that? The, the, fans, fans, the fans, fans do films. Fans I mean, do every films. once in a while, I guess. They, uh, they, they tend to make them, and every once in a while, every once in a while, a website picks up on them, and they make a little bit of a splash. We like to celebrate that here on TIP. And uh, in grand old fashion, got another fan film we want to check out. Uh, especially considering it's a timely release mm. from our last week's episode, having to do with Psycho by Alfred Hitchcock. I uh, stumbled across this one on Bloody Disgusting, and uh, it's called Mother. It's directed by, uh, God, I hope this can give this name right. Chris <laughs> Chris Notarily, I think. That was right. Notarile? Notarily. I don't know. Close enough. Notarily, yeah. I've said it like five different ways. <laughs> Hopefully one of those ways is correct. Um, it's set ten years after the events of uh, Psycho. Norman Bates awakens in a mental institution with no prior knowledge of how he got there. His only way out is confronting the one thing that terrifies him most. What is it? His mother. Oh, my God. <laughs> mother. <laughs> Tell your children not to look my way. I feel like we sing that at least once a week on this podcast. I was going to say, does that like consistently come up? Well, we the... talked about Danzig last week or two weeks ago, didn't we? And then yeah. I feel like Mother comes up, the movie, now yeah. this movie, and his house. I mean, I've just accepted that it's a part of my life. Apparently, we're really big fans of Danzig. <laughs> Apparently. Somebody tell Glenn that we're listening to his one song on a regular basis. <laughs> oh yeah, we talked about his ridiculous movie last week. That's yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, what'd you guys think of the short? It was okay. It was moments. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't bad. I like that they cut in the uh, like murder scenes from Psycho mm. as part of his like memory while he's killing off his mom. Right. Um, so uh, the premise to get a little bit more detailed and it's just it's just he's speaking with a psychiatrist. I guess he's blocked out the fact that he's there. Mm-hmm. And uh psychiatrist kind of like manages to get it out of him. And as a result, he starts seeing his mother in a chair next to him. And he has to basically like take her chidings for a little <laughs> while before eventually stabbing her with a knife. An imaginary knife. <laughs> with his I didn't really <laughs> like the mother that much. I didn't either. I did't think she was very good. Honestly, I didn't think anybody that was really in this movie was very good. But it's a fan film, and we it's don't a ten watch minute them short. for the acting. It's a That's ten right. minute short. It is a ten minute short. We don't watch them for the acting. We watch, we watch them, them for the concept. For the concept. It is a good concept. I do like, about yeah, I do like the concept. What happens to Norman after, you know, the end of Psycho. Yeah. And the cinematography wasn't bad. It was all mm-hmm. shot in black and white. It was black and white. It kept true to form. It and did. the guy looks strangely a lot like... Norman? Like Anthony Perkins, yeah. Old yes. Normie Bates. Old Normie. Old Normie over there. 
<laughs> what a silly goose. Master bait. <laughs> Callbacks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't have the last name Bates, I'm sure, without people just consistently just calling you master. master <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like you'd have to embrace it and just play like master yeah. puppets like in the background. Just like master Bates, master <laughs> I mean, Bates. They're making fun of your name, but really they're also calling you master at the same time. So, you know. Isn't that what everybody wants? Exactly. I just, mean, I personally think that anybody with the last name Bates deserves to have a butler at all times. Mm, yes. <laughs> master Bates. <laughs> what can I do for you? I don't know why that went from like British to like. <laughs> yeah, what was that? Slow, like, slow, I, don't, I don't even Eastern know. Eastern Bloc countries. <laughs> into like Louisiana. Like, draw. You. <laughs> Hi, y'all. <laughs> Look, from the intro, judging by the intro, we can mm-hmm. all tell them really good with accents. I thought you did really good. The Ocean. Oh, the Ocean <laughs> Caves, it's bed. You do oh, sound like too. a that's not too bad. like a pirate of Penzam or I something. I may or may not have like really repeated that for <laughs> like more times than I care to admit. Were you just in oh, your you office practice tonight? Uh, <laughs> practice. Yeah, I was just especially the ocean and uh, the uh, what was the other one that I was really practicing? Uh, oh, suppliant, suppliant, suppliant. I'm proud of you. You did your mouth warm ups. I did do my Aww. mouth warm ups. Rarely do I do them, but every once in a while. Uh, as always, I'm Palmer. I'm joined by Alex and Sam. Guys, how are we doing? Hey. <laughs> Swab the deck, you dog. Swab the deck. <laughs> you swab the deck. <laughs> oh, you dog. Oh, you dog. Alex and I are in tired parent mode. Oh, yeah. I'm drinking vodka Red Bull now. I think it's going to pick me right up. Yeah. You're going to get that energy right by the end, time for the end of the episode. It's no turpentine and or kerosene and, and honey. honey, but it'll do. <laughs> it's mighty close. Yeah. Yeah. Sam, how about you? What's new? Nothing. There, there's literally nothing new with me except for the fact that, I guess, my mom was this close to being, like, actually as crazy as the people in this movie. Oh, mm. All right. Cool. Well, Super close. But they said no. She's fine. Is she a mermaid? That was, was going to be my next question. And if so, does she have a gaping vagina? Uh, I'll ask her on Sunday when I go to her. I'll, 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 I'll do some research. Do you have a gaping vagina? That's how you get a top ten hit right there. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I'm going to write those lyrics to Weird Al and tell him that he needs to turn that into something immediately. Um... You guys ready to read off some horror headlines? I would love to. Let's make it happen. Headlines. All right, opening things up. Uh, Universal and Blumhouse. They have a new version of The Thing in the works. Um, I feel like most people know about The Thing at this point. Right? Th- it's like a movie that people enjoy. I would think so. Right. Am I, am I alone in this, Sam? No, it's fucking awesome. Yeah, all right. See? Everybody okay. knows. Everybody knows about <laughs> that. All right, all right. Alex doesn't think it's awesome, but... It's all right. Yeah. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Just wait until you hear what she has to say about today's movie. Right? You don't yeah. know me. Yeah, you don't know. I'm expecting you her have to give this a 25 very... out of 5. Close you, you, you to have, the vest. Yeah, you played very close to the vest this week, this week. You just said that you need to go to sleep and think about it. <laughs> you haven't said anything about the movie since. Except for the That's seagulls true. give me boners. Yes. <laughs> Boop. 
Um, <laughs> That's me getting a boner. <laughs> so is that it's surprisingly large for such a small sound. Yeah. Pew. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think both the '50s film and the famous Carpenter remake are both based on a short story called "Who" or called "Who" eh, called "Who Goes There." Guess My you mouth didn't practice this part. Shut no. up, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> by uh, by John Campbell. Apparently, there's a long lost version of the short story that was a full novelization called "Frozen Hell." Would like that title. Uh, according to Bloody Discussing, John Bentecourt discovered the novel-length version of the short, stating in 1938, acclaimed science fiction author John W. Campbell published a novel- novella called Who's Goes There about a team of scientists in Antarctica who discover and are terrorized by a monstrous, shape-shifting alien entity. The story would later be adapted into uh, John Carpenter's iconic movie, The Thing, following an earlier adaptation from 1950. I love that everybody just glances over the fact that it was a pretty famous 1950s film right. first. So like, oh, is that a thing? Um, Nobody watches black and white movies. <laughs> except for us. Right. This, this month. <laughs> uh, the pub- published novella was actually an abridged version of Campbell's original story, um, which had to be shortened for publication, apparently. Which doesn't make any sense to me. This is 700 pages long. What is this, War and Peace? <laughs> well, I feel like if it was published in a magazine initially, like it couldn't have been that long, right? Yeah, what's long for a magazine? I've never actually like, seen the, the novella or read it or done anything like nope. that with it. So Nope. I only watch movies. I don't read books. <laughs> we all know that's not true. <laughs> Maybe a long novella is like 40 pages? I don't even think they were that long. I was going to say a long one. I feel like... I feel like Playboy's published some pretty long novellas. Weren't there like a couple like 007 stories like, that like appeared in Playboy? I think so, yeah. Okay, so according to this, a novella must be able to stand on its own as a book, but the exact word count is not set in stone, averaging mm-hmm. between 30 and 60,000 words in most markets. What's that a page? <laughs> uh, I don't know words. I know. I don't I like how they count things by words. Well, I have a I guess hard time like, wrapping my brain around that. It's it's gonna be different because the type's gonna be smaller. Like I'm thinking in terms of like if it's twelve point font single space is usually about six or seven hundred words a page, but okay. you're talking much smaller type. Yeah, that's well, true. Well we've talked to a bunch of authors on this podcast. We Author have. friends. Publishing Help friends. Us out, please. Let us know what, what what the separation is. What would you call it? Or mm-hmm. like what, what where do you cut off the novella versus like the actual novel? Mm-hmm. How do you discern it? This also says editors uh, Modern editors of literary magazines are regularly publishing short stories, which are say, different. What's the difference? Approximately thirty-five hundred words, um, and online ones are usually held to smaller word counts, <laughs> as little as a thousand words. So, yeah. I guess the difference with a short story versus a novella is a novella is supposed to be able to stand on its own as right. a, as a full book. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, well, it's been announced that Universal hmm. are teaming up with Blumhouse to create a new version of the film, one that greatly expands the Thing's story, giving vital backstory and context to an incredible, already incredible tale. Whatever, dude. Monster dogs or get the fuck out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, like it or not, we're getting yet another remake of the story. I just hope that they focus more on the practical effects and the C- less than the CGI, uh, mm. which seems to be the consensus, judging by the yeah. comments on this article. I you think know, that's now what that people I've... like about the original. Yeah, absolutely. Now that I've had time to one. actually reflect on it, the color out of space is a modern interpretation of the thing. Oh. Including uh, monster alpacas instead of be dogs. Some, <laughs> there must be some strong statements. Damn. I mean, an outer space thing takes everything over, and it, mm-hmm. uh, there, there's a barn full of alpacas that all get merged into a giant thing alpaca. Oh, oh, nice. Yeah. 
like a seven-headed giant thing alpaca kind of very reminiscent when does I saw it. really hyping does, this movie up, Does man. it have teeth? Uh, nah, sort of, but because they're alpacas. Oh, so they're, like, like flat it's, teeth. Yeah, it's it's just this weird, long-necked, spidery-fucking-looking alpaca monster. I like um, it. Also, all practical effects, though. So. Oh, all right. there you go. Right. Yeah. You're hyping this movie up, man. If, it, if, it, if it's, it's, it's bad, I'm going to make you no, alpaca it's... your bags and get off my podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to make you alpaca the fuck out of this room. That was terrible. No, I, I will tell you right now, when you get a chance to see it, let it. don't don't take your gut reaction as your final takeaway. Give it some time to simmer. You got to simmer the more, the, more, the more time I've had to think about that one, the more, I've enjo- the more I realize I enjoyed it. Right. But considering this is Blumhouse and they pride themselves on making a profit and turning out low-budget <laughs> horror uh, so they can get huge returns, mm. we're probably not going to get a whole lot of practical effects out of this. Honestly, that's not meant to be too much of a criticism. I get it. They're that's just what it is. You got to make money. I just think the prequel is pretty soulless, so as long as they actually have some sort of like substance to it, I think it'll be better than the prequel, at least. Mm. Uh, next up, details leaked regarding Resident Evil 8. Here we go. Thanks, Twitter. It's horror game rumor time. According to RE fan site Biohazard Declassified, a number of leaks appeared on Twitter about Resident Evil 8. Ethan, the main character from Resident Evil 7, will be returning as a playable character. Resident Evil 8 was tested apparently last year. It was. Uh, it will not be called Resident Evil 8, but have a clever title in quotes. Does that just mean they're going to shoehorn the letter or the the number eight into the title somewhere? <laughs> Resident Evil Great. <laughs> <laughs> Later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the game will be first person like Resident Evil 7, which I actually am pretty excited for. Uh, the gameplay starts in a village, leads up to a castle. Cool. Okay. <laughs> the environment will be rural, snowy, and mountainous, possibly in Europe. And, right? and a castle? Yeah. Sounds like a fucking Disney movie. Right? <laughs> you get there and it's just the beast in the castle, just like <laughs> Gaston singing yeah. and eating eggs over in the corner. Eating eggs in the corner? <laughs> yeah, remember? He like, nobody eats and eggs he like eats Gaston. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. For a second I thought Gaston was the light. I was like, why is the light eating eggs? No, those, are taking, eggs. those are taking the places with zombies in this one. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, regular zombies apparently will be uh, coming back. Um, there's a persistent shadowy female enemy that will follow you but dissipate if shot. Um, there are also wolf-like creatures that will attack the player in certain areas. And Chris Redfield will also be returning in some capacity. The biggest takeaway from this is it's returned to first person. Um, I really loved RE7. thought it was really well done. And it added this element of terror, not being able to see everything around you, mm-hmm. kind of having an isolated perspective, um, making things feel a little bit more claustrophobic and visceral. Obviously, this is all rumor, so don't take anything too seriously until we see some announcements. But with the RE3 remake on the way, I wouldn't be surprised if announcements about this aren't too far away. Can I, can I just go ahead and suggest that this game's already been released to the public and it's the coronavirus? No, it's Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> no. Beauty ate the beast. You haven't. Ah! Uh, there's, the, there's the clever title. <laughs> no, and on, we're done like, for the night. We can't come up with anything better than that. See y'all later. <laughs> there's that company that's got the Umbrella Core logo. Yeah. 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 They already released this game. Video we're games, living it right now. Video games tell the future all the time. We get to play Resident Evil 8 in real life this time. So those two concepts. Con- <laughs> yeah, that makes me nervous. <laughs> those two cases that were ended up being confirmed, if not coronavirus, were both in Richmond, the Central Virginia yeah. ones. Yeah, they I just heard. said Central. I, that's why Vir- I thought it was. That's why I thought it was our friend of ours. Uh huh. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> when he sent the picture of him in the hospital wearing the mask. Yeah. I was like, oh, shit. I texted him like two days later to make sure he was still alive. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yo, dude, so... Uh... Well, also, the U.S. today I saw had the first reported case of uh, person-to-person transmission. God damn it. It's spreading. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Capcom. Yeah. I've had to stay off the whole subreddit about it because yeah, it can't makes read. me I, paranoid. I can't read it. <laughs> All right, Sam. Yeah. Got a list of shit for us to see. We got one movie in theaters this week. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> Alex beat me to the punch. So this one uh, slipped under my radar and probably for good reason. Uh, it's called Gretel and Hansel. Great. Oh no, this movie's actually supposed to be pretty good. Great. Okay, Great. Hansel. Yeah. All right. Well, this has Palmer's potential seal of approval. It comes out on the 31st in theaters from Orion Pictures. A long time ago, in a distant fairy tale countryside, a young girl leads her little brother into a dark wood in desperate search of food and work, only to stumble upon a nexus of terrifying evil. Ooh. Ooh, Did Gretel and Hansel go into the woods to look for work? I thought they were looking for candy. I don't know. I, this is supposed to be more based on like the grim fairy tale oh, one, okay. so like maybe there's. Or didn't their parents leave them in a? I can't. I can't. Yeah, no. Like I think like the original one, the parents like try to set like sold the children to That's them or right. something, and so she like lured them there with candy. With if candy. I remember. That's right. Are they the ones that put the gingerbread down? The breadcrumbs. The yeah. Breadcrumbs? yeah. So they could find their way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a. It's Who a, is? Uh, it's actually a pretty terrible story yeah. if you read the original yeah, version. Well, it's pretty best. fucked up. <laughs> and the original was her house made of gingerbread. I can't. I honestly can't. Because I'd be kind of fucking pissed too if a bunch of little kids came <laughs> and ate my house. <laughs> so you sympathize with her? I do. Uh, the old hag, guess. Uh, so this is like this is like when we watched old biddies the movie mm-hmm. and I sympathized with the wrong person, according to you. Apparently, so I think that also the the redheaded girl from it is she in this movie? Sophia Lillis. I don't know. And Alice Kriege. Alice Kriege, is that her name? And Samuel Leakey are the three main characters here. Okay. So I assume one's Hansel and one's Gretel and one's the old I would assume so. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that movie looked. I I was intrigued by the trailers, and uh, I think it's sitting at like a seventy seven percent or something. Seventy three percent of uh, Google users like it. Sixty four on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. And seven. So it went down a little bit then from when I lost. Yeah, but sixty four percent is still respectable. That's a respectable score. I've watched things that were lower. It's than no that. Bad Boys for Life. <laughs> Nothing is Bad Boys for Life. Exactly. What is that about? <sighs> It's the greatest action movie since Die Hard. I thought that you guys said John Wick was the best action movie of all time. No. <laughs> Stop putting words what in our mouths, Alex. Can we just move on? That's okay. why I said it is the greatest action movie since Die Hard. Oh, since Die Hard. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's not Rambo, Palmer. There you go. There you go. All right, Sam. That was it. I'm yep. not used to only ha- you only having one thing. On your I list. told you I'm paring it down. Just the the theatrical stuff or the big online things. Okay. All or right. The porn parodies. Oh yeah, the porn parodies. And trust me. As soon as there's a new one, you guys will know. All right. All right. All right. Because I want to be scared and excited, horny at the same time. The same. Well, that's, yeah. that's why we're talking about the lighthouse tonight. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> <laughs> 
The terror elates me. No, that's the lighthouse. Yeah, that's true, too. All right, time to talk about the lighthouse with this week's main event. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to tonight's main event. It's okay. It doesn't have to ever stop. Roland, Roland never needs to stop. Once it begins, it keeps rolling. You have to, yeah, you have to, you have to follow with the title. Damn the consequences. <laughs> <laughs> this week's film, The Lighthouse, directed by Robert Eggers, written by Robert Eggers and Max Eggers, starring Willem Dafoe as Thomas Wake, Robert Pattinson as Ephraim Winslow slash Thomas Howard. Ephraim. And that's it. And that's it. <laughs> oh, there's the woman who plays the siren. There is. And there's two remember. people who help them carry their luggage at the beginning <laughs> of the film. <laughs> and that's it. And that's it. Do we ever see their, I don't remember. Do we see their faces or just their backs? Yeah, you see them. You see, like, they're off, they're off to the side. Hmm. But you see their faces. Palmer, I really want you to try to pronounce the mermaid's name. She's not a mermaid. She's a siren. The actress that plays the mermaid, you mean? Yeah. Is he going to show you? Oh, yeah, do it. He's looking. Valeria Caramon. Okay. I'll take it. It kind of sounded like an STD when you say it. <laughs> Can't come out, you guys. I got the Valeria. <laughs> I got the Valeria. Valerian steel is all I know. Oh, that's fucking true. Fucking nerd. <laughs> if that makes you a nerd, then like literally everybody's, everybody's a nerd. <laughs> Even I know what you're talking about. Exactly. It's time to talk about one of my favorite films of the past year. One that I've watched more times than I care to admit already, because clearly I'm a crazy person. Um, the film's director, Robert Eggers, is... Uh, what's the best word to use here? Autistic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going to go with divisive. <laughs> but we can, we can allow that, I guess. <laughs> We've triggered a bunch of people right now. And I'm okay with it. <laughs> He's, uh... Now we just fell out. <laughs> Amongst the three of us. Uh, I love his stuff. Sam and Alex love to hate his stuff, at least so far. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Though this movie has already proven to continue the trend in, from one, in the opinion of at least Sam. Alex, I haven't heard what your opinion is. No, I enjoy, um, that's not true. I enjoy this movie. I told you I've enjoyed this movie. I also told you this movie is... Absolutely 100% absurd. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what Alex has to say about this. Hark. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you <laughs> I'm sure that will emerge as we discuss the film synopsis in just a moment. For now, let's talk a bit about the film's background. Sam? Yes? I know you did a lot of looking into this already. I did. So feel free to chime in wherever it's relevant. Originally written by... Uh, Robert's brother, Max. The film started off as an adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's unfinished short of the same name. The two joined forces after Robert rode the waves of popularity he was surging upon after the success of The Witch. (laughs) The script was rewritten to fit Robert's different vision, and the final product bears almost no resemblance to Poe's original short. If anything, this film is loosely based on what's known as the Smalls Lighthouse Tragedy. The Smalls Lighthouse is located in the Marlowe's Peninsula of Pembrokeshire, Wales. It was originally built in 1776, with a replacement being added in 1861, and is one of the most remote lighthouses in the entire world. <sighs> According to Wikipedia, the original Smalls Lighthouse brought 
about a change in lighthouse policy in 1801 after a gruesome episode. Thomas Howell and Thomas Griffith, the two-person team that managed the lighthouse, were publicly known to quarrel. When Griffith died in a freak accident, Howell feared that if he discarded the body into the sea, authorities might accuse him of murder. As Griffith's body began to decompose, Howell built a makeshift coffin for the corpse and lashed it to an outside shelf. Stiff winds blew the box apart, and the body's arm fell within view of the hut's window. As the winds would blow, Gus would catch the arm. (laughs) He turns into a wacky, wild, inflatable, arm-waving tube. (laughs) (laughs) That would appear to make the appendage beckon. Uh... In spite of his former partner's decaying corpse and work, working the lighthouse alone, Howell was able to keep the house's lamp lit. But when Howell was finally relieved of duty, the impact of the situation was so emotionally taxing that his friends did not recognize him. As a result, the governing body changed the lighthouse policy to make lighthouse teams roster uh, three people, which continued until the automation of the British lighthouses in the 1980s. So yep. his friend essentially weakened at Bernie Hems. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead type right. situation. Yeah. Just yeah. his hand. That's yeah. that's um, extremely creepy. Yeah. Just <laughs> fucking amazing. Why would he just put it in a different box? I don't know. But that would be a smart thing. Maybe to he do. didn't have a different box. Well, I don't know. Chop the arm off. Also, a you're smart not going to do that to your friend and, and I don't co-worker. think that they were friends. They were quarrelsome with each other. They were indeed. They were. One was probably farting in the other one's face all the time. <laughs> Asserting dominance. <laughs> yes, I stand by that. That just openly farting in a close quarters is. A, <laughs> it's absolutely asserting dominance. It absolutely is asserting dominance. So I've got an issue here. Okay. I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Uh oh. And uh, I'm gonna. I'm is call it a waving it. limb in the wind? It, it is flailing arm. Yeah, just like flailing arm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna call out Robert Eggers a little bit here. All right, he's calling him out. Mm. Um, Eggers, if you're listening. Hey. Yeah. Go yeah. after Sam. His address is <laughs> something something something. Richmond, Virginia. It's Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> All right, that's close enough now. Zip code. <laughs> Do you even know the zip code here? No. Two, three, two. I do. Shut up, Alex. <laughs> I'm gonna give him your house and say it's mine because we no. live like right next to each other. <laughs> no. All right. Anyway. Nine four. No. Two three two nine four. Where the hell what is the that? What the hell is that? I don't know. I was just making things up. All right. Hoping anyway. I always be right. No. Nope. <laughs> You'd be wrong. I think Robert Eggers is a fucking liar. Okay. Uh oh. Uh oh. You think he's a thief? I yeah. think he's a thief. Oh, no. And then he lies about being a These thief? These are some yeah. grand accusations. That's yeah. the worst kind of thief, too, is the one who would admit that they're the thief. Where do these accusations come from? All right, so, like you said, he says his brother started writing based on the Poe story, which I actually found online. It's about four pages long, uh-huh. um, and it's pretty short. That's neither really here nor there. Uh, he took that and then turned it into this interpretive exploration by mashing up the true story with a bunch of ancient mythology, which uh-huh. makes it original in its own right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll yep. give him credit there. Uh, what's conveniently left out, though, is that this movie was already made, and this story was already told. By whom? When? Hark! Tell me more. Okay. I know exactly where he's going with this, yep. and I am prepared. Have you watched it? <laughs> I am prepared to challenge this. No, I have not watched it. I watched it the other day. Which it's actually movie? not bad. Also called The Lighthouse. Oh, the one that when you Google the lighthouse comes up right yeah. next to this yeah. one? It used to. Now this one dominates right. it. Um, so directed by Chris Crow and written by Paul Bryant, Chris uh-huh. Crow, and Michael Gibson. The lighthouse made in 2016 currently stands with a Is 71. Is it Gibson? Is it? Mm. Is it G-I-B? Yeah. No, J-I-B. Uh-huh. 
Sounds like somebody changed it from a G to a J. <laughs> to avoid some awkward... Old Jimmy. Old, old Jimmy. Jimmy. <laughs> old Jimmy showing up. Uh, so this currently sits at a 71 on Rotten Tomatoes, which is uh, a far cry from the one we're talking about tonight. But still, like right. we mentioned, solid nonetheless. Uh, and that movie set in 1801. Thomas Howell and Thomas Griffith are stationed at the Smalls Island Lighthouse to man it uh, 25 miles away from the Irish Sea. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, it's currently available to watch for free uh, in a couple of places. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not bad. Tubi. Yeah, that's where I was watching it. Um, it's a lot more grounded, which is easy to do when you're not Robert Eggers. Um, but I'll admit, this movie is a lot more fun, if for no other reason, than it's in- completely insane. Um, so, I haven't read or watched all of the interviews he's done, because he's done them all over the place. Uh-huh. Um, but in the ten or so that I've gone through, I've not come across a single interview where Robert Eggers even acknowledges that this movie was ever made. Okay, okay. So just Almost deny. like he wants people to think that this is the first time the story is being told. And that he's the most original well, writer in horror. Wasn't this movie supposed to be based... Off the book? Off what actually... The, the events of what happened? Which one? 2016 or 2019? The 2016 one. Yes. So, but so is this one. Very loosely. That's why I said at the beginning the whole mythological fucking right, 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 right. But like I don't understand how it's it is stealing weird that he something. doesn't mention that's it. Like saying, that's like saying that the but, Shutter so version of La Llorona is stealing goes, from from the curse of La Llorona, no, which came out last year. No, because in so years. many interviews, he's he like you said, he's talked about how his brother started with posed four page short story that's potentially unfinished, potentially finished. Nobody really knows, right? Because it happened like he he died in the middle of it. Um, but you make no mention of and. Then you say, "All right, so we took that and we jumped to the small light, the Smalls Lighthouse incident." Mm-hmm. But you're not going to even mention this movie or acknowledge that this movie already exists. This movie also came out a full year before Robert Eggers' movie did in the U.S. At least three years prior overseas. Because it's from the U.K. Yeah, exactly. So it doesn't really count because America loves remaking British movies. That's uh, true. Mm-hmm. Just for the sake of having an American version. So not even movies, TV shows and TV shows. So I just want to ask one question to think about while we go through this movie. Okay. Is this movie a physical man, or is the light specifically in this movie a physical man- manifestation of the Mandela effect? Does this 2016 version not exist if you've looked into the light? <laughs> Does the 2016 version only exist if you've looked into the light? Sam. What? Did Dropbox steal from Box? Vox? Box. Oh, Box. Box. Yeah, there's a company called Box that does the exact same thing that Dropbox does. Yeah. Did they steal from them? Mm. Did they? Probably. I'm pretty sure it's just... Did Facebook just steal from MySpace? Did... I mean, did... yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> did... But at least they acknowledge it. Did the comedy uh, uh, A Vampire in Brooklyn steal from Dracula? Dracula. <laughs> Dracula. <laughs> you know I, you're a fucking I mean, pretentious ass when you can't just say Dracula. <laughs> Dracula. You've been I'm watching just, Dracula on Netflix. I'm just I saying <laughs> that you, you know, you're allowed to have two different things exist, and just because they're both, well, one is more grounded, obviously, like you said, and yeah. it's based exactly on the events of what happened. Yes. And the other one is very loosely based on the events. Of the, the other one is Robert Eggers. I just don't understand how that makes him a thief for a lawyer. I just think it's weird that he won't acknowledge that he like in nowhere has he acknowledged this, despite the weird fucking but story about his gonna, brother we're and the email post short about story. this after this cast. I was gonna think. Do you think that every time someone does a story or you know makes a movie based off some sort of story, whether it be like folklore or 
you know, a historical thing. Is People... Gretel and Hansel ripping off Hansel yeah, and Gretel? Does, does the movie no, director that's just dyslexia. To... Does the newest director have to acknowledge all of the films before? No, but if you're using the exact same source material as your starting point. Okay, well, I mean, I'm sure there are lots of movies that have been based off of, let's say, the Bible. <laughs> Does every single movie about the Bible have to credit the movie that came before them about According the Bible? According to Sam. Unless it's <laughs> yes. old Gibby. Not unless it's old Gibby. <laughs> the Passion of the Christ was amazing. No, <laughs> I will defend... That was a certain films movie. of his. One of them, I will not defend that it's one. Of the what a horror movie! I, that I will not defend that one. I like the Patriot. Okay, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> you have something that's a good one. Is that your Frenchness saying "fuck the British"? <laughs> fuck the redcoats. Uh, you know, like uh, Braveheart. Yeah, it's a great film. Lethal Weapon. It. Apparently, there's a new Lethal Le- Weapon yeah, confirmed, Lethal Weapon. which he's going to be returning. I for. think that's some horse cock. Horse bukkake. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, this is not a uh, old Gibby defense <laughs> cast. You're absolutely yes. right. It's not. See me. See me after the cast. For, yeah. for... Tweet Palmer. <laughs> that's going to be Palmer's new series. Old <laughs> the in defense of old Gibby. <laughs> no. I do not defend certain actions of that man, but I like his movies. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to, to separating the art from the artist. <laughs> you have to know we fight about this at least <laughs> at least once a week. Yeah, we do on a pretty regular <laughs> basis. Um, so back to back to the topic at hand. So what is the lighthouse? Ultimately, it boils down to one of two possibilities: a tale of perceived madness and the tricks our minds begin to play on us as we unravel, or its more literal interpretation a possessed lighthouse stuck in an otherworldly void which condemns two more victims or to a death. dick or, or a dick yes or something <laughs> fast so there's three possibilities or a giant just penis. a giant cock emerging from the ground a mean <laughs> are we going with the there's third a one there's a lot of masturbation in this movie <laughs> uh, the film is so open ended that it's really up to you as the viewer to decide what you think regardless of your choice madness gives way to mayhem leading into the deaths of our two Thomases all told with a tongue in cheek fart, fart laden his hilarity Let's jump into the synopsis. Sam? Yeah. You got a short synopsis for us. I do. So, uh, in lieu of Robert Eggers being a potential thief, I do think he appreciates Seinfeld much like Palmer and I and not like Alex. I think this movie is what would happen if Seinfeld was a black and white film. Where Jerry wants to be the focus and he's constantly upset that George steals his spotlight and doesn't appreciate his food. Elaine is a lamp that's illogically obsessed over. Kramer is a seagull that keeps barging into scenes where he's not needed. And Newman is a never-ending destructive storm that forces these idiots to keep going despite their obvious desire to not care about anything and do anything else. What's Jerry Seinfeld, the first part, sorry? He wants to be the focus. Oh, he, okay. In this case, he would be Willem Dafoe. Oh, uh, okay. It's his light. But where is the feud between George and Jerry's parents? That's that, the waves that's crashing. <laughs> no, that's, that's the that's lobsters the... eating the dude's head in the lobster trap. Uh, Maybe the seagulls. The seagulls. It. It's actually a pretty good one. Yeah. <laughs> the seagulls fucking 
flying uh, around. No, there are definitely points in this movie where it could totally be a Seinfeld episode, and they have been eerily. If you if you take vertical slices of this film, it's insane. They are very eerily similar to certain Seinfeld episodes. If Somehow you, were going you to make, and I both came to this conclusion if, separately. If you were going to make an argument about Robert Eggers being a thief, I would have gone in that direction. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, here's the real story. Sometime during the 1800s, Ephraim Winslow, a traveling man with a mysterious past, is sent on a boat to serve a contract job as a lighthouse keeper, or as they like to refer to themselves as wickies. True blue wickies. A term that they earned for trimming the wicks of the lighthouses. For four weeks on an isolated island off the coast of New England under supervision of a crotchety old man named Thomas Wake, played by Willem Dafoe, uh, and his beard. I don't his forget beard, his beard. His glorious fucking, fucking creepy ass teeth. <laughs> uh, upon Winslow's arrival, he sets to he sets his provisions out and rolls out his cot, prying out a hole carved in the fabric. As he digs into it, he finds a small carving of a mermaid made from bone or sandwood and stuffs it in his jacket quickly, hiding it from Wake's gaze. I believe they call that a scrimshaw. A scrimshaw. Sure. Carving in in wood or bone. It's a scrimshaw. Yeah. Uh, Day shifts tonight as we're introduced to a scene of the two men having dinner for the first time. Plates of salted cod, cabbage, and potatoes sit in front of them. That's why he almost shits his pants every night. Right? (laughs) Salted cod. (laughs) And cabbage. Oh, that's true. You can't not fart off that meal. That's Mm -hmm. true. That's why why he's farting left and right, man. It's true. Uh, And a bottle of some sort of clear liquor is brought out by Wake. He pours two cups, one for Winslow and one for himself, and recites a poem that we joked about at the beginning of the episode. Should pale death with treble dread make the ocean caves our bed, God, who is the surge's roll, deign to save our suppliant soul. To four weeks. To four weeks. So this song actually comes from a uh, well, this this stanza, I guess, actually comes from a long longer poem called "The Sailor's Hymn at Parting," which uh, is basically six stanzas about the peril and plights of sailors and how God will welcome them with open arms. Here's the way the last stanza is actually written: Should pale death with arrow dread make the ocean caves our bed? You can just say ocean. No, no absolutely <laughs> cannot. <laughs> you shut your dirty mouth. <laughs> Though no eye of love might see what shrouded grave shall be, or where that shrouded grave shall be, thou who hearst the surge's roll, deign to save the suppliant soul. So the key word differences there uh, is basically that death is a warrior in the uh, traditional version of this, mm-hmm. wielding an arrow, and the version in the uh, movie is is well, death is the ocean itself. Right. Uh, it's a subtle but important distinction when considering the context of the film, whereas the open sea typical, uh, it will death, sailors see death in a lot of forms while they're out on the open sea. I can imagine. Right? Um, this version sees the two lighthouse keepers already being surrounded by death as the ocean waves crash around them. It's pretty interesting if you think about it that way. There's like it's uh, this is one of the reasons I love his movies so much mm-hmm. is because there's a lot of like very subtle things that build up to a 
very, very poignant atmosphere in all his movies. Say what you will about, I know you don't like The Witch, but it's got a hell of a lot of atmosphere. It does. <laughs> well, so, I want to... I want to bruise ambiance. Yeah. I, I want to take a second, and specifically, uh, the comparison that I had for Robert Eggers was David Fincher, and his ability to create set pieces and right. set up atmosphere. Um, and some of the shit that he's done, both in The Witch and in this, are outstanding when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, like building the lighthouse itself uh, for this movie was uh, built in Nova Scotia mm-hmm. uh, from scratch, mm-hmm. 70 feet high to be specific for the aspect ratio that this movie was filmed in um, with a, the, what is it called? Fresnel? Fresnel? Fresnel. Fresnel. Fre- yeah, a Fresnel lens that was custom built because the one they wanted was too heavy to ship I can um, imagine that was super heavy. The the house like thousands was, of pounds. Yeah, um, the house was pretty much rebuilt to make it look the way it was in the movie. Uh-huh. And the seagulls mm-hmm. are the craziest part. The British seagulls. The British seagulls, because apparently it's illegal to train seagulls in North America and Europe. Yeah. <laughs> so they had to track down trained seagulls for a lot of the scenes. Apparently, there's a guy in England. Can I, can I interrupt, interrupt? Did you find out why that is? No, I didn't. Okay. Because you never kill a seabird. <laughs> because you never kill a seabird. <laughs> you never train a seabird. Um, apparently, there's a guy in England that had five seagulls who were grandfathered in before the laws changed. So, according to Robert Eggers, they shot everything on Cape Forshoe where the lighthouse was built. Um, and they used a puppet stand-in for the actors to interact with on location, and then in post-production went to London, built small sets and set pieces, and redid the actions with the trained seagulls, who yep. were all then composited huh. into the scenes. But then all of the ones in the sky are real seagulls just from the area yeah. that would kind of come in because they were... Because they built a fucking lighthouse on a volcanic rock. Right, and at one point they thought they were going to have to, like, get rid of some of them in post-edit because there was too many. <laughs> Too many seagulls. Too many seabirds. You never remove a (laughs) seabird. Uh, Winslow begins his duties over the next few days. <laughs> duties. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're at that part of the yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and he's t- as he's tending to the roof of the hallway that adjoins the lighthouse tower and the living quarters, Winslow observes Wake near naked in the lantern room. This sparks his curiosity and leads him to question why he's never allowed to man the light. Wake tells Winslow that's his duty, and in spite... <laughs> <laughs> no, I just can't never say the word duty anymore. Uh, and in spite of what the handbook for lighthouse keepers may say. <laughs> he loves that. He loves that handbook. Yeah, he really does. He's not to go up there. One night, he follows Wake into the lighthouse tower, sees him once again strip naked, and as he sits and watches him through the grates below, a gooey substance starts to drip from the holds above him, followed by visions of tentacles. In the lighthouse, tree stumps floating in water and distant images of a mermaid. Before... The before the tentacles started appearing and stuff, mm-hmm. and the ooze started just dripping. Was I the only one that thought it was semen? No, absolutely. <laughs> I no. thought he was just like furiously masturbating. When I watched the movie again last night, knowing there are tentacles that show up right after that, I still thought it was. I semen. think you're kind of supposed to think it's semen. Are you okay? Yeah. In my head, it's just Ichi the killer when he's jerking off on Especially the plant. Especially. <laughs> 
especially when he backs up when it like the 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 first kind of glob comes down. Right. Yeah. And he steps back. I'm like, oh, that's definitely, oh, that's semen. definitely I wouldn't want to get that in my eye either. <laughs> I think you're supposed to think it's semen because before that, there's kind of like this very erotic shot of him like spying on yeah. Wake while he's. Oh, when he's, he's, sleeping, he's, got, he's either sleeping or fucking like the mattress or got something. Flap open yeah. or when, he, when he's up fixing the roof, right? So, yeah. 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 So it already starts off very erotic, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you are. I think you're meant to think it's semen. Yes. There's a lot of homoeroticism in this movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Boners. Globs and globs of it. <laughs> globs and globs of it. <laughs> uh, so we're only about 25 minutes into this film and already we're getting hit with some pretty prominent mermaid symbolism. Uh, he either has brought a charm of the mermaid with him or discovered it in his cot. The first time I watched this movie, I interpreted it as him like sneaking the charm in. Okay. I thought he found it. In the mattress. Yes. I thought. I think that's supposed to, supposed to be the way it is. But mm-hmm. the first time I watched this movie, I thought, why did he hide a mermaid charm? Because he's so because those are his boobs. <laughs> he so eagerly puts it in his jacket, like as soon as he right. takes it out of there, because it has boobs. I, maybe that's what it is. But yeah, like the way that he took it out of there, I was like, a, he's why is he hiding it? And b, like why did he bring it in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> well, we soon find out. No, I think boobs. I think that it was in the mattress. Yeah, yeah I think he's supposed end. to. Have, yeah, I think he's supposed the, to have found the it. The distinction of it being in the mattress is very important as far as my mm-hmm. interpretation of the interactions between the two of them. Okay. okay, so him bringing it would not fit with the way that you look at this movie. It would. Yeah, it would change it a lot. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, mermaids are commonplace in Mariner tales, but uh, what exactly do they represent? The answer, of course, fluctuates depending on culture, but in Western European and British culture, it tends to represent woe. Seeing mm-hmm. a mermaid is never usually a good sign. It's a bad omen, a symbol of something terrible to come. Traditionally, mermaids are believed to be devourers of men, beautiful creatures with the uncanny ability to draw sailors towards them and lure them to a watery demise to feast on their physical bodies or steal their souls. Nice boobs there, siren. <laughs> And they I'd, sing those I'd be-, be victim. And they sing, yeah, <laughs> they sing those beautiful songs and they have lovely breasts. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> to my bosom, child. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> uh, as a result, when they're spoken of or referenced symbolically, they're almost tre- always treated in the same vein as gorgons or sirens to be avoided at so, all costs. So what the fuck was Disney thinking with The Little Mermaid? That was based on a... On a Hans Christian Andersen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which was also kind of creepy and dark. Yeah. But they, he does he does leap onto the whole, like, taking of souls thing and, like... Yeah, I guess potentially Ariel would have ruined... What, what was the prince name? And the was actual version of... of Eric. Of, uh... The Little, Little Mermaid. Mermaid is actually pretty fucked mm. up. Because, <laughs> um, like, I think... If Does I remember right in the action... life? No, like, she has her legs, like, lopped off... Oh, uh, that's right. Like, I do there's, remember there's about like that. some yeah, there's like some other differences too. Um so is the carving beginning uh, at the beginning of this kind of the call of the mermaid and what does she do to him like once right. she appears, right? This this little mermaid carving. Um I think he kind of uses sexual desire as perverse. He spends mm-hmm. a lot of time, like, both of them spend a lot of time kind of, like, trying to burrow it down yes. throughout the entirety of this film. Extremely um, repressed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's one conversation in particular where Winslow asks Wake if he's ashamed when he lies with a woman. They linger on the silence for a moment before Wake jokingly answers that he's ashamed of nothing. And then the subject changes. After a good round of laughter. <laughs> yeah, right. This could either be because of more puritanical views on sex during these times, or it could be because of something else. But it seems fairly obvious that this mermaid is kind of like his lust personified. I'm 
I'm not gay, you're gay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let me think of this fictional creature in order to make me feel less gay. Less Look at gay. the boobs. <laughs> it's got boobs. Um, I mean, it's all right, guys. I got boobs, too. <laughs> and so the second question kind of depends on whether or not you think he took, he brought the mermaid charm with him or if he found it. Right. But if he did bring it with him, does trouble just follow him wherever we, he goes, judging from his backstory that we find yeah, out later in the film? It certainly seems that way. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's assuming his backstory is true. Yes, right. It's questionable. We learn more about that later in the film. But if it is, if he did bring it with him, uh, if you interpret the film that way, then that means that disaster does seem to follow him, and he might be carrying this mermaid as a symbolic representation of that. Yeah. Uh, it could be this constant underlying reminder that the audience, or to the audience, that this man is in trouble, has always been, and always will be. Um, combine that with his lust and sexual repressed desires. You have a man that reeks of desperation. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. smell him from a mile away, and it's not just the sea. Exactly. <laughs> it's the semen. It's the <laughs> and the fish. Yep. From uh, the ocean. The ocean. Uh, and the cabbage. Yeah, that, that definitely has a lot to do with it. <laughs> not the potatoes, though. No. The potatoes are fine. They're fine. They're, They're right. a relatively odorless... Uh, stodgy veg. exactly, exactly. Over the course of his stay, Wake demands more of Winslow, handing him more and more difficult work. We see him refueling the light, carrying heavy heavy kerosene containers, adding lye to the cistern, a tank for storing drinking water, uh, and disposing two of the men's chamber pots. Uh, (laughs) When he carried that large-ass thing of kerosene up up the stairs, and he's like, why don't you just carry this little one? I think Wake's response is fucking, like, valid, though. Like, are you daft, dude? Of course there's gonna be an easier (laughs) way to do that. And then bring it back, and he's like, take a breath. And when you're and finished, then, haul you that ass back down the stairs because I'm not trying to burn this fucking lighthouse down, you idiot. He's like an intern. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're, like, you're so fucking stupid. <laughs> uh, it's during this time that uh, Winslow does. I he just he seems like he's he's worked harder and harder, right? And he looks yes. more and more disheveled. I'm more, more broken. I want hard for you. <laughs> uh, his stance is more hunched and menacing. His facial hair becomes more and more unkempt. He's overworked and underappreciated. One of the film's best and most humorous scenes takes place as the two men bicker over what over the work that must be done. Let's listen to the clip real quick. Sir, what? I mopped and swept twice over. Me lion dog. I swept them. It's begrimed and bedabbled. Unwiped, unwashed, and disdained. It's some kind of pert out of molesting me. Come now. I already says. How dare you contradict me, you dog? Now look here. I ain't never intended to be no housewife nor slave in taking this job. And it ain't right. These lodges is more ramshackle than any shanty boys camp I ever seen. The Queen of England's old fancy housekeeper couldn't even done no better than what I'd done. Because I tell you, I scrubbed this here place twice over. And I say you did nothing of the sort. And I say you swab it again and you swab it proper like this time. And you'll be swabbing it ten times more after that. And if I tells you to pull up and apart every floorboard and clapboard of this here house and scour them down with your bare bleeding knuckles, you'll do it. 
And if I tells you to yank out every single nail from every molding nail hole and suck off every speck of rust till all them nails sparkle like a sperm whale's pecker and then carpenter the whole light station back together from scrap and then do it all over again, you'll do it! And by God and by golly, you'll do it, smiling lad, because you like it. You like it because I says you will. During all this backbreaking labor, Winslow repeatedly encounters a one-eyed seagull. It mocks him constantly, and as Winslow attempts to, to kill the creature, it manages to escape its grasp. Uh, Wake warns Winslow that it's bad luck to kill a gull. I'm sorry, I'm sorry you said what? it wrong. It's bad luck to kill a seabird! <laughs> uh, that they're actually the souls of dead sailors and shouldn't be touched. Time continues to push forward, but the movie doesn't really do a good job of showing exactly how much time has passed. Uh, kind of adds to the overall sense of confusion mm-hmm. that this film it adds radiates. to the madness, yes. Uh, we know that they're supposed to be there for a total of four weeks, but in the eyes of the viewer, it's only been a handful of days. This is something that's addressed later on in the film. Loosely. Loosely, yes. Uh, we cut to a scene of Defoe's character writing in a logbook before dinner. It's revealed that, the logs, uh, that it logs Winslow's work ethic and rate of pay. As the two sit down to dinner, make it to know each other, and discuss their lives before their current stint on the rock, Winslow uh, reveals that he used to work in, in Kennedy. 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 <laughs> as, as a timberman. The timbers uh, up in Kennedy. Yeah. And, uh, as far as the eye can see. And he decided to change professions. Wake prods Winslow and gets more details, learning that Winslow is a bit of a drifter and may be on the run. Winslow stands by a statement that he's just like any other man, wanting to eventually settle down with earnings and a house. Wake reveals that he was married with three kids, but his wife left him after too many Christmases at sea. I believe it was 13. <laughs> yeah, Lucky number 13. Something. I think it might have been 16. Actually. No, it was thirteen. Was it thirteen? Yeah, oh, okay. I thought uh, it was twelve. No, it's thirteen. <laughs> they briefly. That's touched... how I know Alex actually loved this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's all starting to come out. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. They they briefly touch on the second uh, the wiki before him, uh, who Wake says died shortly after losing his sanity. There's not a whole lot more detail. No. Given than that. Uh, before Winslow is slated to leave, he goes to pump a cup of water from the cistern and notices that it's sludgy. It's difficult to tell if this is just putrid water, if there's blood in the water due to the black and white color of the film. It looks quite thick. Yeah. I think it's like a combination of just like the, the putridity of it and mm-hmm. everything. Um, but one can assume that there's something drastically wrong <laughs> with this water. It does not look good. Yeah, it doesn't at all. He ventures out to check the cistern and sees that there's a dead gull floating inside he sits and contemplates how he's going to clean the cistern properly the one-eyed seagull suddenly flies down and attacks and chirps at winslow while he's attempting uh, he basically attempts to bite at him while he sits there and mm-hmm. figures out what the hell he's going to do about it that's what you get for drinking a poor sailor's soul <laughs> <laughs> succumbing to his rage winslow grabs it and smashes it against the stone frame of the cistern causing the gull to explode in a cloud of gore and feathers not just once I want to make I want to make it very clear. He doesn't just smash it once. It's like a thirty second scene of him just beating this beating fucking skull into, skull into yeah. this rock. I, I also just feel the need to mention it's not a seagull, it's an albatross. Oh, is it? Yes. Oh, that's a very important point that I'm going to talk about later. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not a seagull. They look very similar, but it's an albatross. Oh, all right. Uh, as he does so, the wind dramatically changes direction, and an impenetrable uh, storm 
engulfs the island. Thinking that their time is up, the two men get drunk and celebrate their job well done. The next morning, Winslow awakens hungover with his pants down around his ankles. <laughs> Just another night jerking off. <laughs> yep. Jesus. They go about their day, confused about the ferry's delay, and stand outside in the pouring rain as they await its arrival. It never comes. Mm-hmm. Winslow sees a body washed up upon the shore. He approaches the naked body and realizes that it's a mermaid. He runs back to the cottage to find Wake, stating that the rations were impacted by the storm. After they... he touches its boob. Yes. Uh, he. They dig up a crate, and it's uh, all it contains is extra Right, is it supposed to have <laughs> food in there? Yeah, he says that it has extra rations, but why rations? He just means more booze. He just booze. means more booze. <laughs> Uh, this well, thank brings, God for that. This whole thing brings us to three talking points. One, so far how much of this is real? And if none of this is real, was a ship ever going to pick these men up? Mm. I think so. Yeah? Yeah, I think there was going to be a boat. Hmm. I don't think there was going to be a boat. But that's because I'm in very, very firmly in the surrealism version of this film. Okay. Uh... Do we believe Pattinson's backstory? I do. I do, too. Yes. I do, too. I think he killed somebody. I was going to say, so he kind of makes it seem as though he sort of stood idly by as... I think he killed him. Like, as, I was going to say, he's, has, he's already revealed at this point. He has not revealed He's not revealed what happened his, yet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's just revealed that he's a timber man and that he just he's like everybody else. Okay. Yeah, because when he home. tells that story, Don't like... Don't worry about it. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. 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 Nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. I don't know what you're talking about. But he makes a very compelling story, right? He's like, I'm just trying to figure out what I want to do, what you know, what I find joy in life. I heard you can make a lot of money doing this. And I heard you can make so maybe this is for me, which I feel like he's kind of like a millennial, right? (laughs) (laughs) We all just like try many jobs until we figure out what it is that we want to do. Today I learned. So maybe, (laughs) so maybe we can buy a house one day. Yeah, yeah. I uh... me and my mermaid. (laughs) Me and my mermaid. Make sure you get a pool. Yeah. And I think the people that that firmly dismiss so there there seems to be a lot of people on comments and blogs that I was reading about this film that really do firmly believe that this it's really just about his mental deterioration throughout right. the film. I and to them I say that a lot of this probably can be dismissed as badness. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of coincidence that happens in this movie as well. That I don't know is necessarily madness. It seems a little too supernatural to be just madness. Mm-hmm. For instance, the killing of the seagull just happens to turn the winds immediately. Well, because it's as bad it luck to kill a seabird. Right, but that's that's supernatural. That's not yes. See, that's I noticed that most, most of the supernatural stuff seemed to pick up after he fell off the lighthouse when he was painting it. Yeah. Because it like it uh, that that albatross I guess uh-huh. was pecking was... at his pants, and then he fell, and he kind of it looks like he fell on a bunch of rocks, right? I you know, and then and then all the supernatural. So you think, what, he hit his head, and all this shit started going on. Maybe. So are you in the madness camp then? Or maybe he died. So mm. since you've mentioned since you've mentioned the whole thing about him falling from there, have you guys seen the theory on Reddit about this? About no. him falling off the... Well, just about this movie in general. No. So there's a theory on Reddit going around saying that these two people are actually the same person. Oh, like Fight Club? No. Think of it as a time loop. Uh, oh. oh, that's why he hobbles? So so it's the same person completing an endless cycle with one person raging at himself about his own past mistakes. There's the distinct sound of one leg breaking when Pattinson falls from the lighthouse Yeah, that's tower. why he hobbles. Okay. And Defoe's character is largely defined by his one missing leg. 
And then at the end, you've got the image of the younger Robert Pattinson character falling down the literal spiral of mm-hmm. the lighthouse. That's not until the end of the film, though. That's a, yeah, right. That one's at the end. Right. But that's how the whole thing starts over again. But how does he have rotten Robert Pattinson then have 13 years with a wife if he never gets off the island? Yeah, I'm not sure I buy into that theory. I think part of it is the assumption that the backstory is not real. Willem Dafoe. Yeah, because he well, doesn't of, of them. None of the backstories yeah. are real. They both because so they're both just bullshit. lying yeah. about their backstories? They're both just lying about their so backstories both... to make up for the fact that uh, the failed marriage and the kids that they don't have oh, think, anymore. Yeah, it's pretty mm. apparent like that he's ma- that Dafoe's character is making up the backstory also because he's very obviously not a captain and never <laughs> no, was. Never yeah, was. And pa- I mean, Pattinson calls him out a number of times right. about Absolutely. it. My favorite being, how did you eat grass with no teeth? <laughs> That's true. Um, he just... Swallow you rip it out and you swallow it. <laughs> um, think about the turning point of the film. Once the ship doesn't show up, there's a drastic jump in sanity. Suddenly, Pattinson's character has been raving for weeks, according to Defoe. We actually have the exact clip. Hold on. The damn stuff are the food stuff. The salt cord is out. Out. Blasted. Got to rot. Great B. Hear me, though. Hear what? Then we both be rationing. And I've been asking you to ration for weeks now, too, but you kept barking at me like a mad dog, saying you can take the dory out. Oh, look here. Oh, no, don't be losing your head now. This ain't funny. No, it ain't. And I ain't one to be stranded here with some damn lunatic. That scene shook me to my core. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So this... this particular bit this conversation between the two of them right. is where the the sense of how long they've been there really goes out the window absolutely yeah. Yeah, yeah. because you hear him say like we best be rationing like and so in my head that means like going forward because right. like, and then he immediately turns like for weeks i've been telling you this yeah yeah, it's uh it's interesting because it's just like at this point you think it's still kind of like been a coherent timeline, right? Like, you, you may not really have a sense of exactly how much time has gone by, but you don't think I, you've lost a ton of time. Right. Like you still think you're within the, the four, four maybe maybe approaching five-week timeline mm-hmm. at this point, right? Um, but, yeah, it turns out, according to... <laughs> according to uh, so, which, which camp do you fall in? Do you think it's actually been weeks, or do you think... He goes from one day to making it up that it's been weeks like Willem to Defoe's keep just, fucking with... Just gaslighting him? Yes. I think Willem Dafoe's gaslighting him, but I've got a theory behind okay. why he's gaslighting I agree with you. I think he's been gaslighting him this whole time, and I have uh, an Inception-level collection of things that he's done to do this, and I'll get into that. Okay. Uh, up until this moment, the manip- manipulation has been really subtle and more in terms of commanding officer trying to whip his subordinate into shape, but now it's deliberate and vicious, or so it seems, assuming to the Howard Winslow's perspective is true. Um, alcohol plays a huge part in this film also. At first, when offered him, you mean passions? Off- <laughs> At first, when it when it's offered to Winslow, it, he denies it, saying that it's according to the handbook he cannot drink. Right? Uh, Is this just a buddy cop film? 
I don't know what that is. Where, like, you've got the grizzled old veteran who plays by his own rules. Oh, and, and then, then the new guy that's yeah. always by the book. Is that, like, Bad Boys for Life? It might. Well, no, because I guess it's they're both like grizzled old veterans at this point. Like, oh, um... Uh, what's that the one with Gibby? What's the one with Gibby? Yeah, yeah lethal, uh, lethal weapon. Lethal weapon. <laughs> uh, um, but Wake multiple on multiple occasions cites the fact that he doesn't trust a man who doesn't imbibe, and that alcohol keeps the sailors happy. He seems to be a constant source of pushing alcohol on his second man, and attempts to do this to him at every given opportunity, going so far as to leave bottles wherever oh, they can be found. I did not pick I mean, up I on was that. in college. I get it. Uh. Now Winslow is surrounded by it. He can't get away from it. With the rations destroyed, alcohol is his only outlet, and the two find joy in drinking themselves into oblivion. As liquor flows, the camera work also succumbs to increasingly more and more bizarre drunken shots. Mm -hmm. You get very jagged and striking camera angles. There are very few scenes where uh, the camera spins around. Mm -hmm. Uh, The tension mounts in terms of the score and the shots as the amount of alcohol increases. Yep. Um... More nights progress and the storm continues and the two men seem to be become more attracted to one another. There's something deeply sexual about their bond as the two end up in each other's arms, dance with one another, and interrupt any sexual tension with typical male roughhousing. There's even a scene where they bicker like an old married couple. It's actually one of the best scenes of the it film. <laughs> and it perfectly encapsulates the essence of their new drunken love-hate relationship. Clip incoming. What? 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 That's what I mean! What? That's the trouble with you. That's the trouble with you. With you! No! No! I want a steak! I want a goddamn steak! If I had a steak, oh boy. Oh, a rare, a bloody steak. If I had a steak. I would fuck it. You don't like me cooking? Oh, don't be such an old bitch! You're drunk! You don't know what you're talking. How can I possibly like the horse shit you fix us for supper? You're drunk! I, you won't be saying that. In the kitchen shanty cooks. Oh, it was fried donuts three you're times drunk. a day. You're Country drunk. Country hand bigger you're than your drunk. Food. I'm drunk. I'm you heard me! To be drunk. Damn ye! Drunk since I first laid eyes on you. You're fond of me lobster, ain't you? Drunken in a Virginia fence. I seen it. You're fond of me lobster. Say it. Say it. Say it. I don't have to say nothing. Damn ye! Let Neptune strike ye dead, Winslow! So, Why wouldn't he just say he liked his lobster? <laughs> <laughs> so the beginning of that clip where they're screaming what at each other, that was the original teaser for this, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's that was right. was the original teaser for this. Uh, Still makes what, no sense. What? 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 <laughs> so... The question is, are these guys actually, like, beginning to kind of fall in love with each other? Or at least get some sort of, uh... Oh, I don't think it's beginning, sir. Um reliance sexually on one another. When they, when they dance all close <laughs> and mm-hmm. holding each other, yep. if you play it on mute, just turn on Endless Love in the background, man. Right. It fits perfectly. Endless Love. 
scrimshaws and fucking your pillow only go so far. That's true. That's true. Robert just needs a hug. And, and Willem just needs to be touched. He just wants to be appreciated for his damn cooking. His right. lobster. You like the lobster. I mean, it's lobster. But I, once again, I think there's something a little more sinister at play here. I think I think Defoe is purposefully flaunting his sexuality mm. in front of him. Do you like my lobster? Yeah. <laughs> Tell wanna, me you like my lobster. You, Tell me you my want lobster, that lobster. I mean, as far as you know, creatures go. Also, you know, a lobster is a rather phallic animal. It is sort yeah, of. It's just a, it's just a long tube. <laughs> it's true. I guess it's true. That is true. Uh, the clip ends on the hark as the thunder claps in the background. But does Defoe actually curse him here? So there's. It continues on. It says a bulging bladder, no more, but a blasted, bloody film, now nothing for the harpies and the souls of the dead sailors to peck and claw and feed upon, only to be lapped up and swallowed by the infinite waters of the dread emperor himself, forgotten to any man, to any time, forgotten to any god or devil, forgotten even to the sea, and for any stuff. Or part of Winslow, even any scantling of your soul is Winslow no more, but is now itself mm. the sea. Exactly what happens at the end of the film. Yeah. <laughs> so is it a curse? Is this man actually supernatural? Mm-hmm. I I think he is. I would have to agree with you. I think he is. Uh I think he set it all up. Oh. I think he did too. I think he sets all of this up. I do, too. I think we're on the same page here, Sam. Uh, Winslow's vision becomes more and more grandiose. As he fucks the mermaid in her ever-gaping vagina, he sees more tentacles and has visions of statuesque Thomases piercing him with the light of his eyes uh, while holding an axe. So the, uh, the, the mermaid's vagina is sort of modeled after a, um, like a fish's gills. Okay. <laughs> the way it looks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, actually, very vagina like. I thought it was just like a giant just... clam or oyster. No, it's so. If you, it's... And then surrounded by gills. No, it's like a. The way that their fins look, it looks oh, okay. very vulva like. Yeah, it does. It really does. <laughs> um. Winslow unsuccessfully tries to steal a key from the lantern for the to the lantern room from a sleeping wake. Uh, he has visions of a lobster trap containing the severed, half blinded head of Wake's previous wiki. One night, Winslow tells Wake that his real name is Thomas Howard and that he assumed the identity of Ephraim Lin- Winslow, uh, Howard's foreman, who died in a quote unquote accident. Howard failed to stop. Hmm. Wake accuses Howard of spilling his beans. Yes, spill. Why'd you spill the beans? (laughs) Now I'm going to fart some more. Yeah, right? And Howard tries to leave. He attempts to escape on the dory, but Wake destroys it with an axe. Wake chases Howard into the cottage, but inside, Wake claims that it was Howard who attacked him. Mm -hmm. So here we go. We get the tables getting flipped again. What is up? What's down? Where's anything going on? What's day? What's night? What's going on in this, <laughs> in this island? Uh, the two settle, quote unquote, their differences temporarily and realize that they're out of booze. We have a common enemy now. Yep. <laughs> yeah, a lack of alcohol. <laughs> now for the monkey pump segment of the film. <laughs> <laughs> With no alcohol left, the two begin mixing their own concoctions of kerosene and honey while the storm continues to rage on outside. As we see, Alex is trying something similar tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Vodka, Red Bull, pretty much the same thing. Uh, after drinking themselves stupid, the oceans begin to swell with waves so big that it destroys the windows of their living quarters. 
The next morning, amongst the waterlogged rubble of their homestead, Howard finds Wake's log recording his infractions and recommending severance without pay. Wake chides Howard for his work performance while Howard accuses Wake of mental abuse and then begs him to see the light that Wake has been keeping from him. Wake berates Howard and Howard attacks him. Howard basically turns into Marky Mark, bringing on a full-on New England accent to the fray as he beats Wake into submission, calling him a no-good son-of-a-bitch liar that smells like jizz, curdled foreskin, and my favorite onions that fucked a shit house. That's a mental image that I will never forget. I still remember when you first texted that to us after you watched this movie. And I I didn't know what to say then and I I still don't know what to say now. But, but you can smell it, can't you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. oh my god, it's fucking genius it writing is. in that I, regard. I, like that no that stench gets stuck in your nose. As when soon you as think you said it, it, I was like, oh, I could Taste it in my yeah. mouth. Yeah, dude. Yeah. That is some genius fucking writing. It really is. It really is. Uh, as Wake le- lies bleeding and broken after his beating, Winslow turned Howard demands that Wake bark and leashes Wake with a rope and buries him alive in the ration bark, pit. Dog. Bark, dog. Bark. <laughs> Howard, Howard takes the keys and prepares to go up to the lantern room, but when Wake appears and strikes him, he strikes him on the shoulder with an axe. Howard disarms Wake with a kettle pot and kills him with the same axe before sending him to the lighthouse. He approaches the light and it stops. And opens up for him. Mm-hmm. Like a vagina. Come. <laughs> come to me, sailor. Howard gazes deeply into the mirrored interior in ecstasy as his screams and laughter become incredibly distorted. Ooh. He reaches his arm inside and before slipping, breaking his leg and, sl- and falling down the lighthouse steps... Uh, Howard is finally seen lying naked on the rocks, missing an eye, as several gulls puck as, peck at his innards, eating him alive. Mm. Exactly what the curse was. He did say that. Yeah. So, questions for you guys. What do we think the lighthouse actually is? Is it this madness living in Pattinson's head after killing a man in Canada, or is this vortex? Like physically, what is the lighthouse? Or no, like what's it represent? Like what's yeah. Okay. Uh, or is it kind of like this this vortex of Lovecraftian elements? Do you guys take the literal definition that it's like this this supernatural entity, or do you think <clears> it's just this thing that, that Pattinson's built up in his head? No, I think it's definitely more supernatural. I do too. I think just because of the location where it is, it's in the quote unquote middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of spooky shit goes on. It's true. I think it's Marcellus Wallace's briefcase. <laughs> right? That's actually, it's pretty similar. Dude, the fucking end of this, when he <laughs> stares at it's just like when Vincent Vega opens up the briefcase, we never see what's inside of it. And nope. Rumors are always that it's Marcellus's soul. Right. Uh, you just see this bright gold light shining on his face. Yeah. Fair Absolutely. Enough. Uh, we see tentacles at one point. Could be a kraken, could be a giant squid, could be a hentai tentacle monster. Uh, uh, voting for that one. Yeah, me too. It There's is, not enough semen with the other two. It is the overfiend. <laughs> it's the only possible <laughs> conclusion. Uh, when Pattinson uh, first explores the, the light at night, could this be a sign of like what it truly is? Do you think it's mm-hmm. this this so you think it's a supernatural thing? Yeah, absolutely. Do you think it's more Lovecraftian with all these kind of like beings like living Ding. within it? <laughs> Yeah? <laughs> you should have gone with pop. <laughs> well, no, no, that's that my Lovecraft encounter. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. How? Pop. Callbacks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely think that it's a supernatural. It has to be real. Yeah, I, th- I think it is, but I think it's something. I think it represents something different. 
Uh, I think it's the literal light of God. Oh. Yeah. We'll we'll talk about that more. Like in a inside, here. like contained within the lens. Yeah. Okay. Uh Madness is a character. This movie's kind of shot from the perspective of of Pattinson's character, so we assume that Pattinson's reality and timeline are correct. But there are things that Pattinson sees that leads the viewer to question the whole timeline of this film by the end of it. So it makes sense to assume that Pattinson's madness, if there is any at all, is kind of one of the primary characters. Do we think that Defoe's character is purposefully trying to instigate this madness out of him? Or uh, is Pattinson just really going batshit? So I think that after he falls off of the lighthouse... He dies. Okay, this is interesting. So you've talked about you. You, you kind of kind of hinted this one at us. Yeah, before. and I think that up until that point, it's a very linear timeline. Yeah, and it isn't until after he falls off the lighthouse and hits his head on the ground and dies. So you think his hands flapping in the wind uh-huh. <laughs> in the in the box? Talking think... about the the middle section or at the end? The part where he's painting it. So when he gets uh, dropped, yeah. Okay. Yeah. when he gets dropped, so you think where he, you dies think he right breaks there. his leg, yeah. or you know where he quote unquote you know gets his leg broken. Right. I think that he dies. Okay. And that from that point on, it becomes very. It's almost like his soul is trapped on this island. This ethereal plane type. Yeah, I think it's okay. possible that Defoe's character is that the perspective switches at that point, and it's him oh. carrying on with like a like not accepting that his yes his. Partners keep dying, so he keeps seeing them. You're right. <laughs> he weekend at Bernie's them. Yes. <laughs> God. So <laughs> I can bring weekend at Bernie's into literally any movie I we talk it. about. I love that movie. Yeah. It's so um, good. Is that um, a horror movie? You think? Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty fucked up. <laughs> it's, That's it's... our horror comedy. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> it's been so. It's been a while since I've actually seen it. I have to. I'd have to watch it. I still again do the walk from time. Watching it with a fresh around. lens, I feel like it'd be super creepy. <laughs> so I want to jump in here with madness as a character. This is where I'm going to dive in and just say that uh, I'm pretty sure this is just Inception without all the gadgets. Okay, so you think he's in like a deep dream state, and this is like another level of. I th- of... I think Willem Dafoe is purposefully and skillfully gaslighting the ever-loving shit but for why? out of Robert Pattinson. I think for fun, honestly. Just for shits and I think, gigs? I think it's for fun. He's been bored on this island for too long, and he just yeah. wants to fuck with everyone? Uh, so I've got three particular things that happen in the first 20 minutes of this movie mm-hmm. that kind of lend my point to this. Um, one, the lie that Robert Pattinson pours into the water. Uh, Defoe... Never drinks water at any point in this movie. Ever. He just lives entirely off of what I assume Alcohol. to be, I assume to be bourbon. Off of rations. He has his rations every day. Yeah. What kind of liquor is it, you think? It's got to be whiskey. Right? Like no, dude. It's clear. Rum? I think it's just like a, I think it's just a, like a, a grain like a alcohol. Grain alcohol. Yeah. Like a hooch. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think he purposefully hides the small oil container. Oh, yeah. And Absolutely. I think he does a lot of stuff like that throughout the movie that we probably don't see. Um, and you kind of hear it when he's berating Pattinson throughout the movie, mm-hmm. like the clip we played earlier about if I tell you to do this and yeah. I tell you to do it again, you're going to fucking do it. And you're going to do it smiling because I said so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a huge toll of like psychological abuse that he lays out and specifically with the story of his previous lighthouse keeper mm-hmm. and going mad and talking about mermaids. I think he's the one that planted the mermaid icon in, in the, the mattress. And gets that idea and the omens of the seabird in into Robert head. Pattinson's head. 
and then reinf- keeps reinforcing those ideas throughout the movie. So he keeps feeding him these things and then also feeding him alcohol to like literally drive him insane. Yeah, and so I think by that's the time... That's some dark shit. And so I think, that's why I think by the time they get to the point of rationing uh-huh. where he says, we best be rationing, and at this point, Pattinson's like pretty much psychologically broken at this point. Right. And immediately, without even skipping a beat, switches into, I've been telling you this for weeks, and you just keep coming back and saying, I can take the Dory out, which he literally just said... For the first time that we've seen, at least. I think that's when it's, like, in full effect. Uh-huh. And he's just completely ruined Robert Pattinson's life. Yeah. So I would tend to agree that Robert, that his character is just there to totally make his life miserable. Yeah, I, and I, don't, I agree, too. Yeah, and I don't think, in like, the way I see it, he doesn't start making his life more miserable. Except that thing about the mermaid statue does make sense. But up until after he falls off the lighthouse. And so I think the whole, with, I believe that... He's been there for 13 years. Okay. I I don't believe he was ever previously like a captain of a boat or anything. Oh, no. The whole scurvy bit, I don't believe. Um, and while the Reddit theory is a lot of fun to think about, I don't really buy into that either. Is that I how think he's, he's the most to... prolific serial killer in North America. Is that how he's supposed to have lost his leg? Was from scurvy? Yeah, remember he talks about how uh, well, they he says he broke it. Well, he says he broke it at one point. And then he changes his story and talks about scurvy. And Pattinson calls him out on that. And he goes, what oh, about... Oh, that's right. Okay. And so that's why I think, like, you see a lot more of that in the second half of the movie. Yes. Where, like, Defoe says one thing and then, like, a couple scenes later completely changes it up. So you mm. just think he's an absolute menace. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's one of the most prolific serial killers of all time. Because I think he's been doing this for over a decade. <laughs> just killing all of his wickies. Just every, every six weeks. Just getting <laughs> just a new one to gaslight and start all over. But I, I do think that Pattinson breaks it. the cycle in two ways here. Because we do see him kill Defoe at the end of the movie. Yes. And prior to that, he smashes the, uh, the, the, the scrimshaw. mermaid yeah. scrimshaw. Um, and so I think that's how he's broken out of this cycle, which leads up to him going up and kind of seeing the light at the end mm-hmm. in a supernatural sense of like, I know one of the things that you had asked was whether or not this is like a hell purgatory kind of thing. And so you saying it's like the literal light of God makes sense in that context. And then he's finally free and now he's dead. Mm. Is that and his soul to can him? be. I, if I was as, as completely like brain fucked as he is by the end of this movie, I'd want to be dead. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I think uh, actually, hold on. There's a clip that I want to play that kind of supports this theory real quick. Look, you're shivering. You're so mad, you know, not up from down. How long have we been on this rock? Five weeks? Two days? Where are we? Help me to recollect. Who are you again, Tommy? I'm probably a figment of your imagination. This rock is a figment of your imagination too. You're probably wandering through a grove of tag alders up north in Kennedy, like a frost maniac talking to yourself need even snow so I think what we just listened to is literally the only time that Willem Dafoe's character is totally honest so is this the only truth in the entire movie I think it is I think that this entire film is the death of Winslow dying in Kennedy yes Damn. so is is his boss, or uh, I guess Winslow, 
yes. the real Winslow. Or yeah. The real Winslow. The real Winslow is in in uh, Pattinson's kind of dying mental state. He's transferred the identity of his shitty boss who keeps dog quote unquote dogging him onto uh Defoe. Yeah, where think, does he get the idea for the lighthouse? So I think uh I think he's on the run, right? And he's he's created this idea in his head. He uh he killed his boss. He's scared, he's terrified, and in his brain he's like, if I can just get away from this, if uh-huh. I can figure out maybe he read something about a lighthouse at one point. Right. While he was in Kennedy. While he, was in Kennedy. I mean, he said he did. And read and, some James Joyce or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's currently on the run. Okay. Lost in the woods, cold, dying, and afraid. Mm-hmm. And he's he's going through frostbite. He's in the last stages of his life. And this is literally the gateway to hell for him. And so uh, I, I interpreted it as Defoe's character is Lucifer. Okay. Uh, and he's doing everything that he can throughout the film to break Pattinson's character of any left sense any sense of good left in him. He wants Pattinson to confess. Okay. He wants to get him to spill his beans. Uh-huh. And so as soon as that has happened, Defoe's character ups the ante immediately, right? And does everything within his power... To, if you so, uh, Lucifer is supposed to be the light bringer, right? The right. morning star, mm-hmm. which would make sense that he's protecting the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. He's protecting the knowledge of of good and evil, right? Okay. And so, because uh, Pattinson is dying and he's in this kind of like weird mental state physically, he's having this battle internally with himself: is he good or evil? Where right. should he be going? Uh, once he's exposed to light, there's no turning back, right? He has to die. He goes to hell. He has the knowledge of good and evil. It's the same thing that happened happened to Eve. Same mm-hmm. thing that happened, you know. Um, and it's part of like it's part of it's deeply rooted in Luciferian belief, right? Mm-hmm. Like that you're that if you have the light of knowledge, that you that you go to hell. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> it's just like like Lucifer is the light bringer. No, that no, he is the knowledge. Uh, and so as soon as he gains this knowledge. He can no longer be up there with the seagulls, with the the souls of sailors that have died peacefully, or the souls of people that are flying. Because I mean, look how longingly he looks at them occasionally in the beginning of the film. Right. It's like they're yeah they're picking on him, yeah they're uh, they're they're toying with him, but he is. Uh, I think one of the reasons he hates them so much is because he's envious of them. Right. Because they can fly around and he's trapped on this rock. I was going to say, they can get off the island and he can't. Right. And so he does the same. And I think he's envious of his boss, mm-hmm. right? Because he talks about the fact that he uh, was bossed around by his boss. And how he didn't dogging like... me. Yeah, he's constantly dogging him. He wanted to be in his boss's position. He wants to be in the seagull's position. What's he do to the seagull? He's the exact same thing that he did to his boss. He lashes out in the only way that he knows how, mm-hmm. which is violence. And so he finds himself in this position where he has the choice between heaven and hell. And all he has to do, all he has to do is continue on the path that he's on when he first arrives. Right. Deny the alcohol. Stay away from all these supernatural things that he's seeing. Work hard. And continue on the path. And then he can... Don't fuck the mermaid. Maybe the... maybe. (laughs) See, I I think the ship is... The passage to, I guess, heaven or something else right. beyond salvation. Off salvation, this island. right? And it never returns because he can't be saved. Mm-hmm. 
And that's why I think it was never going to return in the first place. Okay. Because it's taking. But had him, he have been a better person on the island, would the would the maybe ship have could come? Have. But yeah, because by that point he had already started drinking. Yes. Right. He gave he gave in. Yeah. So it was never going to come see, back. That's, yeah. I see. That's kind of the way I look at it. Not that he's in Canada, but that after he falls off of the lighthouse, his soul is co- sort of being fought over. Right. And that at one point he could have made it off the island. Yeah. But. But the decisions that he makes after that become he comes increasingly agitated and increasingly, I don't know, weary to. You know, he starts drinking all those things that we just talked about. Right. I feel like he could have made it off that island. Mm-hmm. His soul, rather, could have mm-hmm. made it off the island. Because, I, but I think he died on that island. So, like, I think uh, I think Pattinson's character kind of views Defoe as like the new god, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look at the at like scripture. Like, Lucifer was really envious. He wanted to overthrow God. That's the reason that he got sent, mm-hmm. cast out of heaven, right? Mm-hmm. So he's basically trying to do the same thing to him. Except in this version of it, he actually manages to strike God down, or the devil in this right. point. And he becomes the new light bringer. So now he is he is basically the king of his own hell. He's Paymon. He is Paymon. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to our episode on Hereditary. <laughs> It's it's a bit out there, it but is. I really do. The more I watch this film, the more I pick up on certain pieces where I'm just like, actually, you know what? I kind of mm-hmm. I'm supporting my own theory. Is this movie just a two hour long exercise in confirmation bias? Uh, maybe probably. Like, like you pick all up, of us kind of pick up our own things. Yeah, like you pick up your own thing, and every time you watch it, you just pick up more things that support your theory. But technically, all of our theories could be completely correct. Yeah, absolutely. Because I... Eggers has been notoriously cagey about mm-hmm. what any of his shit means. And I'm sure Eggers seems like he's the type of person who does have like a true answer. Oh, absolutely. But would never so say anything. He's specifically on record because people have asked him whether or not there are any photos or anything of what's inside the lighthouse right. or okay. designs of what's inside the the, the beacon. And he um, made some? No. He specifically said no because he says, if you saw them, perhaps the same fate would befall you. Oh, I love it. I do. He's I went, so fucking pretentious. He is, he is so I pretentious. Love it. But I will say, though, even in his interviews, I, I actually really kind of admire him a little bit because he knows that he's pretentious. Yeah. And but he, he says it. And he's it. like, and he's like, I'm sorry. I'm going to be that. I'm going to be that fucking guy who just doesn't tell you a damn thing. But yeah. I will say, as open ended as it is, I think that every single one of the theories by the three of us are all equally as creepy. Yeah. And I think it, and that, whatever theory you ascribe to watching this movie, I think is honestly probably accurate in right. some form or fashion. And I love that they're just all creepy. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that, yeah. that, I think that what maketh a good film. <laughs> I, think that, I think there's definitely a, a mythological slant to this. There and, is. And yeah. Eggers has even said so. The Prometheus thing, I mean, that's impossible to So ignore. they mentioned Prometheus, they mentioned Triton, mm-hmm. uh, Proteus. Um, so specifically, he did an interview with Vox, uh, where he said Prometheus and Proteus never hung out in any Greek myths before, but that's kind of what's happening here. And Prometheus might be taking on some of the characteristics that he hasn't in the past. But you know what? The classical authors did that all the time. So Absolutely. now Robert Eggers is a classical writer. He's just saying if they can do it, I can do it. Also, um, there ain't no rules. Anything yeah. you can do, I can do better. <laughs> um, and so, really dumbed down without any full context, which is a great refresher for me because I forgot who Proteus was. Proteus was the first, old, one of the first old men of the sea, yeah. a primordial keeper of knowledge and friend to the sea beasts that knew everything there is to know, but hated sharing that knowledge with anybody because he was a prickly old shithead. Mm-hmm. That's my light. I'm the Get only the one that's allowed to touch it or deal with it. Get the fuck out of here. Prometheus, on the other hand, was a giver. Uh, 
He was a trickster who famously stole fire from the gods, sparking intelligent life in humanity. Zeus, a noted asshole all around, ordered Prometheus chained to a rock where an eagle, or in this case seabirds, would arrive every day to pick out his organs. Um, and then specifically the seagulls, because I know that was a big thing, because they are technically seagulls in the movie. Um, do, are does, they? Well, the ones the ones used, like the trained seagulls. Oh, yes. I don't recall him ever saying seagull. No, he did he not. He just sea called seabirds. So it's interesting because seagulls as sailor spirits is a real thing. Yeah, it is. It only dates back. The earliest date that I could find is 1878. Yeah, I think albat- I found the same one. For killing an albatross? For an albatross, as you had mentioned, that the one that he killed was an albatross, is older and more commonly known place in lore for the same reason. And its original stated date is 1798 in Rime of the Ancient Mariner by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Is that just mm-hmm. because albatross are more geographically spread out? I think they're also larger birds. Yeah, they're bigger birds. Yeah. So there, there is a lot of mythological stuff in this, which so, tends to poke a lot of holes in my theory that he's just so a prolific does, serial killer. So where does is that just Rob? Is that just Robert Pattinson's? The where? So where, yeah, where does that come in? Where did the tentacles come in? And, and the tentacles and the the mermaids. Palmer, and you've stuff. watched this movie the most out of any of us. Do you have any rational explanation for the tentacles? Because I've not been able to come up. I with think a that's one. more like mythology based than anything else, right? I think, uh, like, I don't actually think, like, yes, this is loosely based on the story of like Prometheus and everything, and oh, it's not really loosely. It is, it is. pretty concretely based on that story. Yeah, but I think uh, Defoe's character is more of like a god figure. Like he's a godhead. He's not like a. He's not really like. He's he's Zeus. He's Neptune. He's like a million different. So things those, kind of all combined into are one. Are those his tentacles? Well, I, yeah, I, would I think at some point he is like tritons. he is Nept- Yeah, or tritons. I, I would assume they're tritons because I don't think you see the the tentacles until after the first time he curses Robert Pattinson. No, you see him before, when he first watches the. Uh, uh, that's right. He goes up in the yeah. lighthouse and the goo drips down. All right. So we get the first glimpse there. We get the second glimpse when he when he's fucking the mermaid. We get the third glimpse of them when he is beating up. Defoe's character and mm-hmm. he turns into a sea beast. Yeah. But he's wearing a crown. He is wearing a crown. So and he's, got he the, and he's covered he was, in barnacles. Yeah. yeah, like he said he was going to be. Right, right. So it's, uh, I don't know, I think it's interesting. If, if this is one of those things I'm genuinely interested in hearing what listeners have to think about mm-hmm. this as well. Um, a lot like martyrs when we covered martyrs how open ended that was all of us had our own different theories on what martyrs could be i think this is kind of the same along the same boat like i'm i think one of the reasons that i love this movie so much is just because of the fact that you can talk you can have an in-depth conversation about this film and everybody Mm -hmm. can walk away away saying completely different things and all of them are still right yeah we're all right but we're all wrong because the only person that's right is robert eggers the kids are all right Mm mm-hmm the kids are all right. <laughs> uh, I know we want to talk a little bit about the aspect ratio. Right. Uh, and some of the camera angles and stuff. So I think that's one of the things that stands out the most about the movie when you first watch it before you kind of realize how supernatural it is and how open-ended it is, is that it looks like a vintage old school sailor picture. Yes. Yeah. I read somewhere, I don't know if it was someone posted in an article or someone wrote a comment that you could screen cap or pause this movie at any point and it would literally look like... A photo taken from that time period. That time mm-hmm. period, and the it's, late 1900s, or and it's or 1800s, right? And it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And there's also this very like stark like contrast in the colors. Like it's the the saturation is 
up and the, the contrast is up mm-hmm. that it looks um it brings out the angles of the men's faces and it makes them look weathered and and old yeah it really does like they, and both of them have faces made for this movie they have very angular faces. Mm. That scene where he tries to steal the key, where Pattinson tries yes. to steal the key yeah. from Defoe, and it does the zoom in of his eye as mm-hmm. it opens up. Yeah. You have to be very... So that's some intense filmmaking. It, and you have so, to be very confident in the way that you look to have every wrinkle and line on your face just be starkly contrasted. It's kind of almost like when we were talking about exploitation. Yeah. It does the same thing. Like It takes yeah. a normal person's face and makes it look aged and ugly mm-hmm. and, and weathered. So special shout out to Yarin Blaschke, I think is how you pronounce his name. He's up for the Oscar, yeah. He is. Yeah, that's... so that's uh, Egger's go-to cinematographer that I believe also did the cinematography for The Witch. And I think also to having the square, what did they say, it was like a one nineteen one ratio or whatever. Yeah, something like that. Um, is that you can tell that there's a lot of things going on off screen that we're not seeing. Yeah, it was the same. It was the right? same aspect ratio used in all the silent movies back in the tens and twenties. Okay, mm-hmm. and also the first season, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, <laughs> which what? I noticed. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just watching that today before I came over here, and I was like, "Huh." <laughs> well, I, I thought it was interesting when I was watching this again last night that you know. When you first turn this movie on, the big black bars on the sides are one of the things you notice immediately. Yes. Yeah. By the time you hit the midway point, you completely yeah. forget you they're do. there. And it wasn't until I had to pause the movie and like go get something, and I came back. And as soon as you start watching this movie over again, if you take a break, they come right back. Right. It's, it's yeah. really weird that like you completely well, ignore, even on think, like a big widescreen TV. I don't think that you ignore it. I think that you are sucked into how claustrophobic this movie yeah. is. And so this whole... Because the thing about this movie is it, the tension starts at a zero and builds up to, I don't know, a 2,000, right? Yeah. But and it it breaks it up with with little you know funny parts and and you kind of forget for a second but you don't realize that it's still going up and up and up and up right intention and the the black bars and the square screen and this mm-hmm. very like contrast of black and white keeps you feeling very isolated and very claustrophobic but the with, last like without... 20 minutes the black bars make it feel even tighter like right? it feels like mm-hmm. it gets you feel like you're stuck in a lighthouse and if, well with... if, like <laughs> When I when I went back to it, it felt like the black bars got bigger. Mm-hmm. Well, some of the shots at the end of the film are purposely done with that, like in my. So like, it's the dark time, on the edges. The only time we yeah. ever get a glimpse of the hallway is towards the end of the film, like the hallway that connects the lighthouse and their living quarters. Yeah, is towards the end of the film, and it's so perfectly shot and encapsulated between those right or those two black bars. Mm-hmm. Anytime the spiral shots are shown of the spiral staircase leading up this, it's perfectly captured in the beautiful. middle of those. As he's uh, as he's looking directly at the light at the end of the film, and you see it circling around, it's perfectly captured. Well, you got his those face bars. just like, like jammed up against the fucking screen. There's nothing you can't see anything else, and the saturation starts to crank yeah. up, and it's like watching Patrick Bateman's face on the cover of American Psycho. Yeah, <laughs> just like jammed up, and it's just like everything gets super narrow, and all you see is that fucking giant ass screaming head with that distorted noise going on. Yep, yep. yep. Uh, so we're running a little bit over time here. Do we have any last points? Final final things to say before we jump into the reviews. Nordic Mermaids definitely had two tails like that. Oh, the split tail, right? The split tail. Yeah. Kind of like you see on the Starbucks cup. Yes. Oh, It's not okay. until like British sort of European mermaids had the one tail, but uh, back earlier. Yeah. Okay. The, the two-tailed mermaid was quite a... So the popularity of um, the little mermaid mm-hmm. destroyed that idea? Mm-hmm. Okay. Fair enough. What are we rating this out of? Spilled beans? Mm-hmm. Gulls? Seabirds? Fucked steaks? 
<laughs> steak fuckers. Well, we did milk steaks last week, right? Uh, yeah, we did. <laughs> so we're doing fuck steaks tonight? <laughs> how many steaks would you fuck many, out of five? How many fuck steaks are we giving this? I mean, I think you guys know my answer. It's a five. Are you going to give it yeah, a five? It's a five. You go ahead, Sammy. I will give it a four and a half. Okay. Okay. I want to say, I wanted to hate this movie. <laughs> just out of pure... Just to spite just me. Just to spite you, but I <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Oh I am God. going to give it a four point two five. This movie is, uh, and I, I so want to. That makes it a four point five. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. So you gave no. it a four five. Five. Plus if she gave, gave it, it a four, it would be it would be a four point five. Oh, you're right. You're right. He doesn't have his calculator out, Here, so he's pretending like he knows math, even though he doesn't. You're right. This is a, a very good movie. It is a very good movie. It's not for everybody. It isn't. But I think I think you just need to. It's a four point five eight three 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 three. Which is still, I think, more than appropriate for this. Uh, I think it's, it's not enough. Uh, this movie's a lot of fun. Yeah. What's that lighthouse? It's the lighthouse. What? Oh, it's a car. I was like, is someone, is someone going into my car right now? Somebody's, somebody's shining their their high beams into the house. No, in the this this movie's a lot of fun. And as I learned tonight, if you take the dialogue out of the context of the movie mm-hmm. and take away all the visual aspect of it, the writing is fucking awesome. It is. Like the dialogue is so much fun. It is. And I think it does break up the movie a little bit. Yeah. Otherwise, it would just be two men in a lighthouse. About ready to make love to each other. Fucking each other. (laughs) Holding, touching, and squeezing. (laughs) On a phallic lighthouse. Yep, yep. All right. That's the the end of our January month of black and white films. I thoroughly enjoyed this month, you guys. I did, too. It was a good month. It It was was a really good month. I think we had a lot of fun covering all these movies. Uh, as usual, it's time for the housekeeping. Oh boy, now that we're done spilling our beans, let's get to the housekeeping and clean this place so it shines brighter than a sperm whale's pecker. Uh, it's a wrap on January. Uh, what are we doing for this month? So we're going to do bad movies. We're doing B movies, borderline C movies. Maybe even some D movies. <laughs> Maybe some even D movies. Uh, we're kicking off the month with a little film that we have been hyping up on, the, well, I have been hyping up on this cast for quite some time. Hype, hype. Uh, some of you might be familiar with it. If you're a fan of this cast, you may have already seen it. It's a little film. Are we actually doing it? Called Tammy and the T-Rex. We're actually doing it. I heard that up as a joke. (laughs) It's not a joke anymore. Nope. You brought it into reality, buddy. All right. We're kicking things off with the R-rated gore cut of Tammy and the T-Rex. Is it R-rated or unrated? It's R-rated. Okay. And our listeners can watch it on Shutter. Yeah, it's on Shutter now. So if you want to watch it before the episode, feel free to. If you've got the Shutter account, go for it. Watch along. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've Tweet got me. Whole, I'll give you my password. We've got a whole <laughs> bunch of other uh, films in the works. We're still deciding on all of them, making them concrete. But just know, if it's gonna be C to D grade filmmaking, mm-hmm. we're probably gonna have it on the list. They're gonna be so bad they're good. We're gonna watch a lot of really <laughs> dumb shit. I'm ready for this. It's gonna be a lot of fun. In the meantime, you can follow us on social media like Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Terra and Podnito. You can follow us individually too. I'm Palmer at Sturmsworth. If you check me out, you might see some pictures of, uh, I don't know, stuff right now that happens in my life. Uh, yeah. Actually, you follow me on Twitter. You'll see me adamantly defend Tammy and the T-Rex. There we go. <laughs> Against the folks over at the <laughs> podcast. Um, <laughs> Alex. 
I'm Alex at A Looters. I'm Sam at Sam Hebes. I don't defend anything online. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with more of what you've come to know and love from us. As always, Alex. Keep it creepy. Take care, everybody. Thank you.